ain't nobody's listening anyway. What is this, amateur hour? Yeah, I ain't no Superman businessman like you. You know, I'm just an amateur, I suppose. Amateur hour is what's happening. <laughs> amateur hour is what's happening. Amateur hour is the best podcast in the world. Yeah. Amateur hour is the best podcast in the world. Come on. Uh-huh. This is a show about the Chiefs, the football team that plays in Kansas City. Friendship and fun and stats that you won't believe. AHPKC will begin shortly. Hey, hey. Hey, Dirk. Are you ready? Let's do this thing. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Football time. Yeah. 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 That's right, folks. It's amateur hour, and I'm Ryan Scott Hall. And the man across from me, with his hand on the pulse of the Chiefs, his left hand on the pulse of the Chiefs, in fact, his darkness. Hi. I can't believe I got a high and not a not a sup. Uh, that was my left-handed intro there, if you will. <laughs> oh, all right. Dirk's ready. Hey. He's on his toes. All right, Dirk. Uh, so the Chiefs, uh, John Elway to the Broncos on Monday Night Football. ESPN stole my Monday Night Mahomes intellectual property but I don't care. I don't care. Here's the thing. This is what I think. Uh, this is where we got to start today. Sometimes, sometimes you overwhelm opponents, as we have seen the Chiefs do. You talked about how they're going to be probably like eight games this year where the Chiefs are just going to score too many points and other teams can't keep up. They can't do it. Sometimes we're going to overwhelm opponents. And you know what? Sometimes we're just going to outlast them. And, and I was, I think, I think despite all of the great Mahomes things, um, of, of which there are plenty, and I'm sure that we will talk about as many of them as we can possibly pack into this program, I think it was really important for the game to end with the Chiefs defense getting a three and out to get the Chiefs ball back and then to ultimately end up getting a stop. Um, and that may have been a little self-inflicted on the Broncos uh, with Case Keenum overthrowing Demarius Thomas. But I think that Patrick Mahomes getting the Chiefs to a position to be in the lead, but the defense actually sealing the victory is going to be huge for them going forward. That's that's That was my big takeaway, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess if the defense needs like a participation trophy from from that game, they can, uh, they can have it. I mean, the three and out was very impressive. Uh, that was when we when we needed to stop the most, and it was you know they didn't allow a yard. I think they went maybe lost a yard, a few yards on one of those plays. Um, but yeah, the end of drive. Uh, I mean, they were okay, but I mean it's it's hard to overlook the uh, Demarius being wide open, you know, 
running towards the end zone if that's a if that's a decent pass whatsoever. I mean, it's it's tough to give them too much credit with that there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if if they need the participation trophy to boost their confidence, I am I am all for it. Uh, how many times have we seen a Chiefs quarterback be like on on the wrong end of that throw, essentially? Yeah, and how many times have we uh, been Chiefs fans complaining about a call that happened at the end of the game that that it cost us the game? Uh, I mean, we've been on that side of things thousands of times before. I, I love all the stories uh, coming out. That's kind of the narrative coming from this game is that uh, this is the way the Chiefs lose games typically, and this was uh, the way that the Chiefs won the game this time. It was it was very it was a, a great role reversal and kind of. Uh, very uh, symbolic of a new a new era with the Chiefs. Like, hey, things are uh, going to be different here because, for once, we have the guy and we're not playing the guy. I mean, it's it's just thirty years looking back, and and John Elway is the perfect example. And I don't remember this too much, but I I remember my older brother and dad just always telling me. I mean, every single time we played in Denver, we'd we'd have a, a fourth quarter lead every single year. And then John Elway would just make it happen at the end of the game. They'd steal the game. They'd crush our hearts. And man, to do it back to Denver, uh, it must have it must have felt so great for that older generation. Like I, I obviously hate Denver a fucking lot, uh, but mine's almost more based on like Peyton Manning and and stupid shit like that over the last uh, ten years. The, the Elway was more in, in my youth. Uh, I wasn't as bitter at the world at that time as as I am now. Uh, <laughs> so, but but just a great great feeling for for all Chiefs fans of all generations to to really stick it to Denver and do it in that manner. Well, and I I mean I think it's funny because you and I have like different contexts. I think for the team, like your true formative years for the Chiefs, like you went to Dick Vermeil University. And, and yeah. I went to Marty Schottenheimer University. So, I mean, like, my hatred for John Elway is way more passionate than my hatred for Peyton Manning. Although I will say that it's been pretty frustrating to have Peyton Manning own this franchise while he played for two different teams, and one of which ended up being a division rival. Um, a little context, I guess, on, like, winning in Denver, um, the, the Monday night miracle the montana magic in 1994 i mean i don't think that the chiefs had won in denver they certainly hadn't done it under marty schottenheimer but i don't think the team had won at mile high in over 20 years when when montana ended up making that pass to willie davis to end that game um and so i think that that's where a lot of people and and it may be an older generation of fans um, but that's where a lot of people see Mahomes doing this to Denver essentially twice now. I mean, in his first game, he goes and sits down and then has to come back in and take us down to get the game-winning field goal. And and you can write that game off all you want, but doing that and then essentially having to take his last possession on Monday Night Football with the biggest audience that Mahomes has ever had watching him play and to beat Denver like that um, – Man, it says a lot about like number one where he is, and man, hallelujah about where the Chiefs are going to be for a while. <laughs> it says a lot. I'm feeling fantastic. I'll tell you that much. My goodness, yeah. And I think the other narrative that kind of uh, came out of the game was that uh, even though that may have been Mahomes' worst statistical game, 
Uh, I don't even know if it ended up that way, actually. Uh, but but even though it was maybe the least impressive statistical game, it might have been the most impressive game from Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and it's just because of the circumstances around it. I mean, he's he's on the road. He's playing against, uh, a, you know, a, a hostile crowd. Uh, they were up for the challenge. They came ready to play uh, and and get two score down, two scores down in the fourth quarter. Something we haven't seen from Mahomes yet. Like we haven't really seen him play from behind yet. I don't in his career. I don't think we've been losing yet this year. Uh, so to see that, I mean, it's just another test that Mahomes passed. Uh, another another example of him exceeding our oversized expectations for him. And the kid just, I mean, I, I don't, I don't even know what to say. There's, he's so perfect in every single way. Like, I just want to bathe myself in Mahomes every day. Like, I just, I just, I just want him on me. Get on me, Mahomes. Mahomes cologne. Um, <laughs> well, and I mean, some of the stats are just ridiculous. I mean, you probably saw, according to ESPN, Denver had won 65 consecutive games in NFL, the longest streak, active streak in the NFL, when leading by double digits in the fourth quarter. Um, Mahomes put it into that. Now, the one that I think really shocked me, one of many fantastic tweets from Rainey Gisarli, uh in, in the aftermath of the game, Patrick Mahomes has more wins at mile high than any Chiefs quarterback not named Lynn Dawson. And he's only played five games. I mean, he's five games into his career. He's got two wins at mile high. Two wins is more than anyone other than Lynn Dawson. Like, that tells you the history of the Chiefs struggling at mile high, and it just doesn't appear to be a problem for the the new generation of Kansas City Chiefs football. Um, I, I want to ask you if after the Chiefs being 4-0, winning three of those four games on the road, two of which are against the AFC West and certainly the two teams in the AFC West that everybody thinks is good. Um, are Have the Chiefs won the AFC West? Are we AFC West champs? Can we just lock the division up right now? Or is that is that a bit too strong? Because I feel like I, I kind of wanted to celebrate our division title today on the show. <laughs> well, that's something I've been thinking about. Um you know, a year or two ago, I, w- I would have been all in on that. Like this division is over, uh, you can you can lock it in. Uh, but after watching, you know, the 2015 Chiefs go from one and five to eleven and five, and then watching last year's Chiefs go from five and zero oh to losing to the dregs of the league uh, and almost blowing their their playoff opportunity, I- I'm really not ready to say anything concretely about how this Chiefs season is going to play out because they seem to take wild turns when you when you least expect it to. So I'm not going to say that. Uh, I was kind of framing it in the reference of the Chiefs' next two opponents are the Jaguars and Patriots. I mean, if they win both of those games, it's it's so hard to look at it and and say that the Chiefs aren't going to be the one seed just because they would have already beaten all the top competitors. I mean, who have they not beaten? I mean, the Titans or Ravens or Bengals, I guess you could say, would would make a run, and we haven't yeah, played we them to, yet. We get to play two of those three teams. Both of those games are at home. And so it's just like it's how would the Chiefs not get the one seed with – I mean, they'd be ahead of the all these teams in the standings with the tiebreaker over all these teams in the standings. Uh, but – I am not going to sit on here and say anything concretely about the rest of the season, given given the Chiefs' recent history. 
one of the things that I think I I enjoyed most, and um, for all the issues that people may have had with uh, the things that the Monday Night Football broadcast was doing, um, I thought they did a really great job of kind of highlighting this. The crucial parts of the game in the fourth quarter, Andy Reid sitting next to Patrick Mahomes on the bench, not even paying attention to what the defense is doing. And, and this – while maybe people think it's an overreaction, it just signifies to me that Patrick Mahomes is what matters. He's all that matters. Andy Reid wants to sit down on the bench with his quarterback. And and they were kind of going through hypotheticals on the broadcast of like, you know, the kind of dialogue going back and forth. Hey, Pat, like, what do you see? What do you like? Like, what do you think we should do here? What are you comfortable doing? What do you think is going to work? And just imagining that kind of conversation back and forth between a coach that I love and a quarterback that I'm certainly going to be naming my children after. Um, I, I just like w- while watching it, I mean, I couldn't have been happier. I could not have been happier. Did you ever, at, did you at any point, even though the chiefs were down 10 and like the offense was pretty anemic, most of the game, like w- were you not confident at any point? I pretty much just assumed like, we're going to win. We're just going to win. I'm just waiting for it to happen. I mean, I definitely never thought it was over. I don't know if I would have. Uh, I don't know if I would have said like we're going to win or whatever. But uh, I, I definitely didn't think it was over at any point, and I thought we would make a run. Um, and and one of the, I mean, one of the factors was just looking at Mahomes' face on the sideline while we're down multiple scores in the fourth quarter, and he just looks as cool as a cucumber. Ooh. Is how I thought he looked. That's original. Cucumber. That's an yeah. original take. Cucumber Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. How about Old ESPN? Cucumber Mahomes. ESPN really pushing Showtime. the Showtime nickname. A little want, bit. Yeah, a little bit. I want to ask this, though. Like, Do you think that that's a deliberate choice by ESPN? Do you think that that's Patrick Mahomes? Do you think that's the Chiefs? Like, It seems like everyone is on a mission to figure out what to call this guy and and maybe that's where some of the national irritation comes from. Not not that there's that much. I'm mainly just thinking about Eric Mangini at this point. But like, there are people that just like, can we not crown this kid already? And I think it's because everyone's being so forceful about like what to call him or where to rank him. But that's just kind of the time that we live in, right? Like we're just saturated with coverage. There's so much stuff written about the Chiefs and about Patrick Mahomes. I can't do it. I can't read it all. I can't get there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just look on, on the Ringer had I think three articles about him. Like in these two days, like we've I've, I've seen links. Like, oh, I'm sure I've already read this one. No, it's it's something new written about Patrick Mahomes. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's just ESPN trying to brand the NFL's next star. Uh, I mean, I think I, I saw more hype about that Monday night game, just like, you know, watching random ESPN shows and then like a little graphic pops up like, hey, ESPN Monday night, Mahomes, Mahomes is coming to town and they're playing some team, some other team and they're doing something. But Mahomes is going to be there. Showtime. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he just he signed off on the nickname at one point. Uh, there's someone that was interview. Some dad gave it to him, I think. Yeah, I've seen some people say his dad gave it to him. And then I, in an interview, they asked him, like, what, what nickname do you like? And he kind of said, I like Showtime, where he said, that one's, that one's fine with me. So I think they just they got the A-OK from him and then just really ran with it. And they're trying to just kind of brand uh, the next star of the NFL, I think is what it is. Um, I, I want to talk briefly about uh, the play clock being at zero 
and the Chiefs getting that that free play. And I and I did say last week that every play is a free play if you really think about it. With Patrick Mahomes being the quarterback, I just I mean I'm I say this jokingly, but I kind of mean it. It's like the refs and the defense. I don't think was was really even reacting like at the time they did after the play was over, but like in that moment. Everyone was just so mesmerized that, like, they're not even paying attention. The only thing that they can watch is Mahomes. He's just magnetic. And, man, it, it feels so good. It feels so good to feel like this. Yeah, well, it feels it feels good to uh, hear the Broncos fans complain because that's that's been us a lot, lots of times. Uh, but, I mean, people want to say it was like this obvious miss. And, I mean, if you pause the game and look at it, like, yes, it's at zero and the ball is snapped, but it's less than a second difference there. I mean, a ref has to be able to look – at the clock and the ball and, and determine if that's getting off on time or not. Uh, so I don't think it's as, as egregious as like, like they're trying to make it out to be, but it was, it was a missed call. Uh, but I mean, I spent most of the third quarter fucking pissed as hell at the refs with these, some of these non holds on us. And then man, the one that really got to me, there was a hands to the face call on, on Tardif against Chris Harris, who was blitzing. And it was just like, it was just a block, like, and, and Mahomes threw it in like one second. Anyways, it was just a total nonsense call. Uh, not that it matters because it was probably one of those calls that led to like you know third and sixteen, and we'll pick that up, or second and thirty, and we'll pick that up. It don't matter. It don't matter. Make make all the calls you want against their offense. It don't matter. And that's the thing is like I during the game I'm like keeping this running log of you know what I considered negative plays. Uh, the Chiefs cost themselves a field goal because of penalties. They knocked themselves um, off of, of multiple first downs uh, that they had converted because of penalties. And I'm just looking at these things and I'm like, gosh, man, there's been – and whether you want to blame it on referees or just a lack of discipline, I mean, I, you're going to have false starts when you're in Denver. I get it, especially on a night like that. But, like, there's just so many different things that are happening and the offense really felt like they were kind of shooting themselves in the foot, and that's why they weren't able to sustain drives and ultimately put points on the board until late in the game. And and when it's over and they won, it was I was like contemplating how to start the show today, and it was like, do I just go through this list of all the stuff that made me mad or all the stuff that was like the reason they were in that position in the first place and then just be like, but none of it mattered. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that they had all these penalties because, I mean, they ended up winning. But that's that, to me, I think is such a great statement about the immense talent that Mahomes has, but also just like the mentality. Um, I mean, going for it on fourth down on your own 30-something yard line in the first quarter, um, Andy Reid has all the faith in the world in Patrick Mahomes. And ultimately, I think, allowing them to go no huddle which I want to see more of. I just want to watch Mahomes no huddle for an entire game. But it takes a lot of faith. And he's. it seems like he's really empowered Patrick Mahomes to take control of this offense. And that's kind of remarkable four weeks into the season. Yeah, a bunch there I want to talk about. Uh, we need to talk about the sloppiness of the offense because that was something we were uh, kind of discussed last week and kind of praised the uh, Mahomes and the, and the whole offense about uh, going into it. But uh, you brought up something that I really want to harp on that I thought was maybe the most important thing from that game. And it was Andy Reid going for it on that fourth and one. Like, it was it was the kind of call where you're just, like, sitting at home, like, go for it, go for it. But, I mean, you look at, you know, all the NFL teams, like, how many are actually going to go for it there? Like, in the first quarter, like, fourth and one, like, 28 of the 32 NFL teams aren't going to even think twice about it. They're just punting there. 
And Andy Reid, this isn't really his forte. Like, I, he's getting more aggressive, but I think it shows you that he is willing to adapt to today's NFL. Like, he is willing to change his style uh, to to th- new information. And like, a new information comes out about fourth downs and this stuff, and it seems like he is paying attention to it. And it also shows you he is willing that he may have learned a few things from Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl, you know, going for it on these crazy fourth downs. Like, and, and that's, that's something amazing because that's something, someone that came up from under him. Uh, and it's, and it, there's, you can let pride get in the way. Like, no, I'm not going to take things from him because, you know, I'm the one that taught him things. So I don't, I don't have anything to learn from him because I taught him everything he knows. But there was none of that. And, you know, maybe that's a reach a little bit, but I think he's just, he's willing to change the way to today's NFL. He's willing to have learned things from Doug Pearson. He's willing to change the way that he's coaching because of Patrick Mahomes. Like, I think it's just really important moving forward that, you know, Andy Reid, despite being one of the longest tenured head coaches in the league, is also still one of the most forward-thinking NFL head coaches. And I think it's going to match Patrick Mahomes' style perfectly. Uh, it, it's an absolute perfect marriage. Um, them sitting on the sideline together. I heard Andy talk today about how he was legitimately taking suggestions from Pat Mahomes on the sidelines. Like he is giving me valuable information about like, you know, what plays to call. Uh, and I think that's just completely awesome. Uh, the hurry up, uh, that's something we were discussing during the game. We didn't watch the game together this week, uh, but I had a good crew over. Uh, and we were kind of asking for that, like, let's let's see some more hurry up. And honestly, I think they couldn't do it until the end of the game. They kind of broke it out about that 11-minute mark when they got down two scores. Uh, but honestly, I think the altitude was affecting the team. Mm-hmm. And you also had Sammy Watkins that was out. You had Travis Kelsey uh, that something was up with him. <laughs> And everybody seemed to have realized it, but we, I, we never, I never saw a report or anything talking about what was up with him uh, unless he was just tired. It seemed like he was, like, sick or something. Like, he was running slow. He, he didn't celebrate at all on his touchdown. He's usually the most energetic player, you know, on the team. And we just didn't get that from him. And I think the altitude, I mean, Kareem Hunt went out a few times after, you know, one or two runs. One, one run, he just looked completely dead on after a, a, a long run. And I think the altitude was just getting to the team early in the season. And I think they just couldn't bust out the, the hurry-up offense uh, as early as maybe they would have liked. Or at least that's what I'm telling myself. Well, and honestly, man, like, I, I don't, I don't want to just point the finger at the Chiefs on that, too. Because, I mean, I saw quotes that, uh, that Mellinger was, was getting from uh, the Broncos in the locker room. And Chris Harris apparently stepped into the locker room and got two IVs immediately after the game. I mean... Like, I, I think that I saw Von Miller on the sideline a lot, and it may have been situationally based on where I only want him to rush the passer right now and why put him on the field, you know, in second and four. But if it's second and 12, then, yeah, we're going to put him out there. But, like, I think both teams were kind of trying to save some things um, or maybe just players a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do I, – I can see where – you know, not necessarily in week four, early in the game, you want to go no huddle just to change things up. And, I mean, I think we all know Andy Reid that even in a game like that of that magnitude and when you're losing, I think that Andy still has this strange mentality where, like, he feels like he can't put everything out there. He has to save stuff for later in the season. And and 
the interesting thing though is that because we're not inside and we don't see it it's not that all of these things are installed in the offense and he has to save it it's that they probably haven't even run things that he's he's working on and they may come up with something on a monday and end up putting it you know in the game plan for for the game on sunday sometimes too so um i i do want to say though man for a team that seems to at least at times and in stretches throughout the game really struggle running the ball in short yardage um, or ultimately it seems like a lot of time they get into the red zone and they're trying to get cute because they don't feel confident that they can just run at somebody. They sure make fourth and short look easy, man. They, they come to the line and it's like, it's not like they necessarily just want to run it. It's like, I, I want to say on the 12 play drive, when they scored the first touchdown, they had a fourth down and it was fourth and short and Mahomes is in the shotgun and they run this RPO and it's basically like play action to hunt. And then he takes four or five steps out to the right and Mahomes just gives it to him because the linebacker comes after the quarterback seeing that he kept the ball. And it was just like, no, nobody followed him. Apparently. I don't know. I, I just, I think that there are some times that we get in other parts of the game when, and maybe it's not as crucial as it is late like that. And, and they might just overthink some things. Because every once in a while, they do something, and it's just like, God, they made that look so easy. Why can't it be that easy all the time? Does that does that make sense? Like, are you following what I'm saying? Well, which plays are you talking about where they're overthinking? Um, I mean, I guess I a lot of it might even just be attributed to last year. And, and frankly, none of that matters because we've got a completely different set of weapons. And we've got a completely different guy running the show on the field. But, I mean, we also, I guess sometimes I just feel like, I think that Andy has had a tendency, um, and maybe it's because of the way the team is built, but to not necessarily just put confidence in them, um, and, and I think with good reason, to just be able to, like, you know, run the ball and, and get the two or three yards that you need when you're inside the five, and so he's had to get really cute, and they've been ineffective in the red zone in the past. And they had some struggles on Monday night. I mean, we had that that dirty Herman in the first quarter kicking a 21-yard field goal, which is obviously frustrating. Um, but I guess I just – I I want to I, – I, it's meant to be a compliment that they made the fourth and shorts look so easy because both of the fourth downs that they converted, it looked like there was no effort put into it at all, and it was just like – we're just running another play. It's not even fourth and short where it could be first down and this is what we would run. Yeah, and I think that's the uh, the way to look at it. Like I think Andy wants uh, the ability to be able to just line up and run it, uh, but we saw that on that first drive on that third and one. We, I mean, you get an eye formation and hand it off to Kareem and it gets stuffed. Like they've kind of proven time and time again that they just can't do that. But I have noticed a trend that on in short yardage when they're in shotgun – and they're running a read option, it's been very successful because both goal-to-go scores against San Francisco where Kareem just walks into the end zone, those both came out of shotgun. The the fourth and one uh, very early in the game when Andy went for it, that was run out of shotgun. Like, I think it is important to just treat it like any other play, like, and, hey, we'll get a yard on this. And I and I think the read option is, is the go-to there. And I just, I mean, I don't see much reason for this team to even line up under center anymore like like just spread them out we're running read options if if we're running the ball and and that's the team we're going to be 
Uh, and I'm totally fine with that because, I mean, it, it, it fits to our strengths. I mean, I think that's where Mahomes is comfortable, and it seems like that's where the offensive line is comfortable. So just move forward with that. And, yeah, sometimes, I mean, the cute stuff, <laughs> I always laugh at this stuff because people just eat it up when it works every time. And then when it doesn't work, it's just like, what are we doing? It's just like, I mean, it's the same stuff. I mean, Andy thinks it's all going to work, and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, it's just kind of weird. Uh, but I think that's the same for everyone, too, because – I mean, people were crushing Denver for running the hook and ladder on that last play. Um, it it looked like it was going to work. It would have worked. It would have. Yeah, I mean, it Steve Nelson like going to work. I, I haven't seen hardly any praise, but I think Steve Nelson saves the game on that play because he gets his hand in there and kind of forces the fumble on the pitch. Uh, but you know, I've I've watched that a few times, and it was going to come. It was going to turn into a sprint to the corner between. Uh, the receiver getting the pitch and Anthony Hitchens, who was, you know, a good 10 yards away, but they were going to be sprinting towards that front corner of, of the end zone. And that was uh, with the game Sanders, on. so he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have come. Well, I mean, Hitchens had a bit of an angle, so I think it, it would have been like a collision at the goal line is, is, you know, once I did the arithmetic on it and did the uh, Pythagorean theorem uh, to uh, calculate that up, and uh, I, I saw a big collision at the goal line, and uh, it was it was like Ben Watson and Champ Bailey that that one time at uh in the in Denver, uh, but yeah, I mean, think that, that was just a huge play. The hook and ladder was a great call. I don't I don't know why anyone would be bashing that. Um, I do have a problem with the de- defensive calls at the end. If we want to if we want to dive into that, um, okay, so not not quite yet. Let's because I I want to just as best we can. I want to do offense defense, and then I've got a couple things that I think we we got to talk about some upcoming games. I know we like briefly touched on uh, the next two games being really important, but um, to kind of close it out with the offense, if we can um, adjustments seem like it's something that Andy Reed is, is um, I guess, keen on. Right. And certainly in a game where they're struggling um, the way that they were offensively, I, I think everybody was sitting back, especially after Sammy Watkins went down, um, and they're thinking, all right, so let's just see what kind of adjustments Andy makes. They've got to figure out how to put some points on the board in the second half. And, I mean, I was trying to identify what adjustments were made. And until they went up-tempo and spread and spread them all the way out in the fourth quarter when they got the ball back down 10, I didn't really notice any adjustments. I guess maybe Mahomes was throwing the ball really quick and kind of throwing towards the sidelines, just trying to get the ball out to to counter the pass rush and how effective it was from Denver. But like, as much as I wanted to try to highlight these brilliant moves that Andy Reid made in the second half, especially with the way that he and Mahomes were sitting down and talking, honestly, I, I think that even though I said sometimes you overwhelm opponents and sometimes you outlast them, I think what happened was that they just did go to no huddle in the fourth quarter because they didn't seem like they had any other options. And that's when they started to overwhelm teams or I say yeah. teams, but over overwhelmed Denver. Yeah. And I kind of spoke on last week about how that was like a, a chief's offensive showcase, not necessarily a Mahomes showcase. Uh, this week was different. This week, I think was Mahomes showing what he's got. I mean, the plays that were made, they were made because of Mahomes. I mean, the left-handed throw, obviously, uh, I mean, the second and 30 where he's just rolling out uh, and actually a great play made by DeMarcus where he kind of peels off, kind of makes up for his uh, drop in the end zone. Uh, I saw that 
a few times, a few players making bad plays and then kind of atoning for it later in the game, which was really good to see. Uh, but Demarcus Robinson peels off and, and makes that 24 yard catch. Uh, there was that third and 16 where he kind of, he just, he's rolling right and just zings it to uh, Tyreek Hill right in the middle. And it sets up a, a fourth and one, I believe, or maybe we got the first down on that. Uh, but yeah, I really thought it was a, a Mahomes game this week. Uh, and when we just saw everything that the kid could do, it was, it was amazing. I think with the offense, so the offense kind of came out sloppy. Uh, and it was something we really talked about last week, how we haven't seen any of that and how, you know, we were really impressed by Mahomes' command. And yet we saw multiple times this week where uh, the team was having difficulty lining up. I mean, they were pushing the, the play clock down, you know, within two or three seconds uh, multiple times. Uh, and, I, and I guess you just attribute that to the crowd. Uh, but, you know, and maybe Pittsburgh's crowd just wasn't there because we got up 21 nothing early and, and it was, you know, a day game. So just not or maybe their fans just suck. I don't know. I'm, I'm fine with any of those options. Uh, but it definitely seemed like our offense was rattled for, uh, you know, a good chunk of the middle of that game. Uh, and I think what Andy Reid does when that happens and this isn't necessarily a testament. I think it's maybe one of his flaws, but he kind of goes to package plays at that point. Like he likes to go to like his screens and stuff. Uh, when, when, you know, the regular offense isn't working and it's almost just like, well, if we're not going to run the offense then we're just going to do the things that we know, we're just going to run these plays. Uh, and I, and I don't think it always, I don't think it necessarily works. Um, it's, it's not something that I necessarily like about Andy. Uh, but I think that is what he does. And we kind of saw that. And I think that didn't work too. And then it was finally just like, okay, well now it's two scores in the fourth quarter and it's no huddle and figured out it. And it, it really just put us in a rhythm. You mentioned guys um, kind of redeeming themselves late. Um, on on this week's edition of Sammy Watch, Kins, uh, I, I just wanted to talk about, initially I was like, great, we don't really have any fodder to be able to discuss this. And ultimately it just kind of dawned on me, like, I think this is perfect now because we got to see what the offense looks like without him. And we were you know, discussing early on that maybe we were going to be paying 15 or $20 million a year just to be able to balance the field and essentially have him just be this, this drastically overpaid decoy. Um, and I don't know, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing because Sammy was hardly on the field. Uh, he got hurt pretty early, but the offense, they clearly struggled without him. And that doesn't necessarily mean that Sammy Watkins would have been the guy moving the chains or that he would have had a big day statistically. But I, I'm curious if to you, as we, as we conduct our week four of Sammy watch Kins, uh, do you think that Chris Conley and Demarcus Robinson, like are these starting caliber players? Cause I felt like I walked away from the game saying, man, if we didn't have Sammy Watkins on this roster or like someone like that to be starting to push Conley to third and push Robinson to fourth, then the offense would not be as productive as it has been. Well, I mean, it's certainly not as good as, as good. Uh, I mean, he, he provides something. I mean, the, the question has always been, does he provide enough to, to warrant the salary? Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's a couple different ways to look at it. I mean, it, we did seem less explosive without Sammy out there, so you can see uh, the difference there. And, you know, one thing I'm kind of looking forward to with Jaguars is, 
they got their two great corners. And if we don't have Sammy Watkins out there, they're going to be able to match up those guys on to Kelsey and Tyreek. Yeah. Uh, if you got Watkins out there, then they're going to have to figure something out for the third guy. And Watkins uh, so, and, did practice today, by the way. And and so you kind of you see the effect there, and you see what they're kind of going for. Like we're just going to have more options than any team has defensive backs. Like no one's going to be able to stop all these guys, and that's the idea. But on the on the opposing side, you saw one of the problems with Sammy Watkins. He gets hurt. I mean, he's he just. We never saw him get hurt or anything. It was just all of a sudden he was out. And, I mean, that's been a story of his career that he gets hurt. Uh, and a hamstring is, is an injury that can kind of linger, so hopefully it doesn't. Uh, but you kind of saw the uh, the pros and cons of, of Sammy Watchkins. Did, uh, and, uh, and you didn't do it right, but that's okay. I didn't do it right? It's I didn't, okay. I didn't hit that? <laughs> Sammy Watchkins! Um, but... But but I think you saw the the pluses, the uh, both the strikes and gutter balls from Sammy Watkins on Sunday Monday. I I think that I think that Kins. I think that ultimately it was just like, I mean, Demarcus Robinson has something when it comes to the scramble drill. He and Mahomes have have some sort of uh, they're 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 linked up. Right. Like it seems like every time that Mahomes is is rolling out and ultimately making a play, it ends up being Demarcus Robinson being a huge factor in that. Um, so I, I appreciate uh, the, the kind of chemistry that those two have. But I guess I was just looking at it and thinking, like, if I'm the defense, I'm doing everything I can to shut down Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. And if I lose to Chris Conley or Demarcus Robinson, then like we're just not good enough. That's kind of how I felt. Even as as a Chiefs fan, I'm just thinking like, what would I be doing to try to stop them? And I, it's this, it's the same thing in basketball where it's like you just kind of have to not focus on a couple guys, and if those are the guys that beat you, then maybe you didn't deserve to win. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm with you. That, that I, was, and I really, I, 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 I man, I, I don't, I feel like we haven't given enough love to uh, Mahomes' left-handed throw. I mean, we we touched on it at the top of the, of the uh, show here, but man, I. I that was so amazing. I mean, everybody in my living room just jumped out like he threw it left-handed. He threw it, and then we were kind of debating like, did he throw it left-handed? Is that what happened? Just waiting for the replay. I mean, it was so incredible. And then, I mean, even you're talking about Demarcus Robinson. Even Mahomes, uh, his throw to Demarcus in the end zone that he drops. I mean, he kind of like shakes the defender. He resets himself and has a defender just bearing down like he's going to take the hit and just fires it right into Demarcus Robinson's breadbasket. I mean, even that throw, we are just seeing, I mean, five throws a week from Mahomes that just, you know, make your jaw drop. I cannot believe it. And I really just want to harp on how Broncos fans must have felt watching that. And just, you know what they're all saying this week, like, we have we have to play Mahomes for the next fifteen years. Like this, this isn't going away. Uh, this sucks. Like yeah. it, it has to have been so demoralizing. And man, they talked that game up so much. Like it was their Super Bowl. Uh, I could see the Broncos just falling apart after that game, just because uh, when you have a, a game like that, that you know you treat like your Super Bowl, and it's right there for you to take, uh, and then it gets ripped away from that, like that. That can do damage to a team, so don't don't be surprised if the Broncos go on a little uh, losing skid here. But man, Mahomes just, I, 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 he's amazing. Yeah, he's he's absolutely incredible. 
Um, I, I don't have anything to add on that. You, you summed it up really well. I, I do want to kind of switch gears and talk about the defense, though. Um, Let's do it. So, all right. I've been I've been trying to I've been trying to figure out what they're good at. Right? Like, I'm as guilty as anyone of being hard on this group. Um, but like, I'm starting to wonder. Like. I don't know if talent is actually the problem, but I'm definitely like searching for answers. And it seems like the only thing that people have been been able to walk away from these first four weeks with is this stat that the Chiefs defense has allowed opponents to only go 10 of 42 on third down. Um, And that's impressive. It's by far the best in the league. But I mean, there's also talking about only having... 42 third downs. I mean, I guess that's 10 a game. That's, I don't know. I don't know if that's a low number, but I just, what, what are they good at? If you had to pick like the bread and butter for the defense and you think like, this is, this is where the defense is going to excel. What is it? Do we know yet? Well, I'm glad you asked so that we can step into the studio for this week's deep dive. Oh, here we go. So what the Chiefs are great at is third down defense, which you talked about. They're at 24%, uh, which is the first in the league. Uh, The next five defenses in third down efficiency, the Ravens, Eagles, Jaguars, Vikings, and Bears. Those are all the, the best defenses in the league. Like I know the Vikings have been a little disappointing, but we expected them to be one of the best defenses in the league. Like That's the five best defenses in the league. And then the Chiefs, who are somehow better than all of them. Um, another interesting stat that comes along with that is they've allowed only 10 third down conversions on the season, 10 of 42. But we've allowed seven fourth down conversions. Opponents are seven of eight on fourth downs. Uh, nobody else in the league is even close to this. I don't, I mean, it's, it's a very odd stat to see. I was, I was excited to see it. Uh, I wanted to take a look at, uh, Chiefs third down defenses over the last five years, just so we could get an idea of what they were doing. Uh, so last year, 41%, which was 26th in the league. Uh, obviously, last year's defense was not good. They were at the bottom there. 2016, uh, 43%, 28th in the league. That was the year we kind of just got by. Uh, we had very bad statistical defensive numbers, but we got by on turnovers and big plays kind of thing. Just Eric Berry and Marcus Peters making plays, and we kind of got by like that. Uh, and then you go to the to the when the defense was was good, uh, twenty thirteen through twenty fifteen they finished fifth, fifth, and ninth. Uh, so when you you saw when this defense was at its most effective, uh, they had a good third down defense. And I mean that's that's I mean that's what you want out of a defense. I mean those are the money plays. And I'm that's I think that's the reason I'm, I haven't really got frustrated with the defense yet. Like yeah, I'm watching these uh, I'm watching missed tackles and blown coverages, and they're racking up yards. But on the plays that matter, uh, which are third downs, they're coming up every time. And in the first quarter, when the game is close, the defense is playing fairly well. They weren't great this week, but overall, I think they've been pretty good in the first quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, they've been at their best, I think, uh, at least when the game is close. Uh, so, and, and then wrapping up the, uh, this, uh, this week's deep dive, the best third down defense of the last five years uh, was the Vikings last year at 28%. And the Chiefs are at 24% right now. 
Uh, so a little deep dive into some third down stats. Is that sustainable? I have no fucking clue. Like, I, it's, it's, it's kind of a shocking stat to me. Like, it doesn't really add up, so I'm guessing that it doesn't last. But as long as it does, like, that's a good enough defense to win the Super Bowl. If you're going to stop opposing offenses on third down with this offense, that's good enough. That's good enough. So just do that. That's fine. The the other things that I guess I've found, and I don't know if these are statistical anomalies or not, but the Chiefs have not allowed a touchdown in the first quarter yet through four games, um, and I'll take that. Um, but also, if you look at it, um, and I don't have um, – like other numbers, like other teams' numbers to compare this against, but at least according to Pro Football Reference, yards per attempt by quarter against the Chiefs' defense, it's five point eight yards per attempt in the first quarter, which is like a almost a full two yards uh, lower than any other quarter. Um, it's five point eight in the first, eight point six and eight point seven in the second and third quarters, and then seven point two yards per attempt in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, clearly the team is coming out and like really putting it on, um, and and that's at least been the story through three of four games at this point is that the Chiefs get a lead. Um, but other teams, I don't know if it is like that Mahomes mystique or what, or if the defense just they're they're able to make a few plays at the beginning and make a few plays at the end. But, I mean, they are getting stops. They're getting stops and and forcing teams to punt in the first quarter and in the fourth quarter, but it certainly seems like in the middle of the game they're really struggling. Um, I I think that a lot of people – I don't know if during the game people were recognizing it, and I guess I haven't – there hasn't been a a whole lot of time to talk about it since then, but the Chiefs' defense looked completely different when D. Ford was on the sideline. Um, and, and he missed basically the entire second half. D Ford is far and away the best defensive player that the Kansas City Chiefs have through four weeks. And I mean, but like you mentioned with Sammy Watkins, like these injuries are so problematic. I can't, we can't have him being questionable entering the next week after missing two quarters of a game week after week, even if he is going out and getting a sack and being second in the NFL in pressures behind Khalil Mack. And it's, I mean, it's kind of remarkable what he's doing, but I think the biggest reason that his impact is felt when he leaves the field is Justin Houston looks like a completely different player when D Ford isn't out there. Like the whole defense just changes they're, they're not anywhere near as dynamic, certainly not in the pass rush, but it's almost like they can't generate pressure without D Ford. But he just makes everyone better because they're having to account for him. And I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what to well, do with it. Well, it either means D Ford is really good or Breland Speaks is just really, really bad. Uh, I mean, that's possible. I, it seemed like in pass rush downs, they were definitely leaning on, on Passigno at the end of the game. He well, was there when they were rushing the passer well speaks was in there on the last drive because i i remember because i got mad at every single snap that that i saw him in there yeah. uh, and i mean you also saw the problem of you know playing defensive ends at linebacker because that that like 35 yard pass the broncos had on the final drive was uh was kind of Passigno's area Passigno playing a short zone and, and you know that's not what you want i mean that's that's worse than dropping justin houston into coverage uh Passigno's just i mean he's he doesn't have the body type to be able to play zone and he's kind of like 10 to 15 yards downfield and it's just like he doesn't seem comfortable like and and nor should he because he's a defensive lineman. 
Uh, so I think it's it's still really weird that they're trotting these guys out there uh, and calling them outside linebackers because none of them can cover. So I don't I don't know what the point is of that. Um, but with it, D four, go ahead. I, I it's I think it's interesting that you make that point because it seems like of the guys that they have as pass rushers, the one that is best equipped to drop into coverage and like maybe look somewhat competent is D Ford. And he's the one of the four that makes the most impact rushing the passer. So there's no situation in which I'd want him to not be going after the quarterback, but like Houston doesn't have the lateral movement to be able to do it. And he certainly doesn't have the long speed as we've seen time and time again, but, but speaks and passing, yo, like even if passing, yo was considered this guy that has all this athleticism, he's six foot seven. Like there's there's no guy that drops into coverage at that height in the NFL. People talked about Dion Jordan being able to cover the slot when he was drafted, and that guy's been an absolute disaster. And and like Passanio, that's probably the most comparable guy, at least coming out. Um, but I mean, he's built like Calais Campbell. Like there's there's nothing about Tano Passanio or Breland Speaks that should lead. Bob Sutton, or frankly, Brett Veach, for that matter, to believe that those guys can play outside linebacker unless the responsibility is get after the quarterback and stop the run. If those are the only two things that they're asked to do, then like maybe they can sort of fit, but they both look like a fish out of water to me. Yeah, I, I really don't understand it. And and we should say Passanio did have a pretty good game. I saw someone said he had four uh, hurries or pressures or, or uh, you know, ball taps on the quarterback or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he's played a good game. I mean, Speaks shouldn't be on the field. Speaks should be registering zero defensive snaps at this point. And Passanio should be should be taking all of his snaps. It should be a three-man rotation between Houston and Ford and Passanio. Uh, I think most people recognize that. And, that, and they're just trying to get the young guy experience, I guess. Uh, but, you know, I... I, I, I Speaks is so bad. Like, he hasn't, he hasn't made a good play yet. And he's just... You know, I'm, I'm paying special attention to him on this final drive. Like, okay, why is he in? Show me why he's in. And he's and he's just, you know, going to the ground like most times. Um, so you, you talked about D Ford and his injury. I was just kind of thinking about it. Like, the thing that we can't have happen um, is have these turn into, uh, like, reoccurring injuries. So I would play both of these very safe. And by both of these, I mean D Ford and Sammy Watkins. Uh, just because I think the Chiefs are playing the long game at this time. Like a loss to the Jaguars isn't going to take anything away from us that's that's going to stop us from getting to the prize. I mean, maybe we have to go to Jacksonville for the AFC Championship, uh, something that, honestly, I'm not afraid to do uh, whatsoever, especially with all the horrors at, at Arrowhead for in their playoff uh, history. Uh, but, you know, I would play it super safe with both of these guys because – you know, D Ford's injury last year started off as as a uh, injury that was just kind of like week to week, and it's just like, well, maybe he'll be available this week. Well, no, not this week, and it became like a ten week thing. Uh, and I guess we didn't really push him on that. That was just kind of us lying or underestimating what the injury was. Uh, but that's the thing we can't have happen. We can't have either Sammy Watkins or D Ford go down for a prolonged period of time. So if they have to sit this week, even though it's a huge game, I'm sitting them. I think I think what I've come up with on D Ford, um, I could be wrong here, but you know they keep talking about how contract year is undefeated, and I'm just trying to figure out like like how to read into the kind of impact that he's had so far, and um, I I think 
I think that D Ford is. No, I am saying that he's a gold digger. That's what it is. I'm exactly oh. saying that D Ford is a gold digger. He is trying to get that contract right now. And I that think was, that that was good. You've, yeah. you've really improved your singing voice. That was, that was spot on. It was, it was good. It was good. Better, better than my David Bowie impression. <laughs> yeah. A little bit from my uh, man. I, I think that that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now is that D Ford is, he's a gold digger. He's just trying to, trying to get that contract. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not too keen on uh, paying him top dollar just yet. I, so, I want to see how this whole season plays out. So I want to, I want to play a game with you. Um, I think it's kind of the perfect time to be able to do this because we're um, if, if we're using the Todd Haley metric, we're one quarter of the way through the season, the hey. first quarter. All right. So after the first quarter of the year, we're going to do something that I like to call early returns, Dirk. So this is going to be rapid fire. You can give me a sentence or two if you want, but I just want to kind of fire through these guys and get like your your gut reaction to a few different players. Give me, Dirk, your early returns on Anthony Hitchens. Hitchens, I mean, I'm a little worried because the run defense still sucks. Um, I, I, I like that he's like an enforcer and kind of sets the tone a little bit. Uh, I still don't think he can play in coverage at all. Um, overpaid. If you had to keep Anthony Hitchens or Reggie Ragland moving forward, it's clearly Anthony Hitchens. I mean, you don't really have a choice because it's the contract. But like, if you're talking about just from a play standpoint, which guy would you rather have? Oh, Hitchens, big time. Hit- Ragland's been a, a disaster, in my opinion. I would, I would pretty much put in Dorian O'Daniel full time or something. I would, I mean, Ragland's he's struggling. Yeah, he's not healthy. I don't think. I don't think he's healthy right now. Um, early returns on bringing back Captain Ron Parker. Ron Parker, I, I think he's just too old to play single high at this point. Uh, I don't really trust. I don't trust his range anymore. Like I think he can he can play a role for this team, and I'd re- I'd much rather see him in that third safety uh, position, which uh, is is the idea if we ever get Eric Berry back. Uh, and I think he can he can do some things like that. But I mean, I think it's like I mean Hussein Abdullah. I think was a great player, but. You didn't want Hussein Abdullah playing single high all the time, or even cover two at the at the end of a game like that. Like it's just he's he's too old and too slow to be playing covering that much ground. And I think I think that's who they were trying to replace with with Earl Thomas. Uh, and and people thought it was more of an Eric Murray thing, but I think it was more of a Ron Parker. Like we don't have anybody that can play single high, and Armani Watts was kind of supposed to be that guy. But Armani Watts has kind of turned into our our third best pass rusher out there. So I don't I'm not sure what the future holds for Armani Watts. He's looks great on special teams. I just want to put that out there. Uh, not Captain Ron, but Armani Watts. Um, early returns on a guy that I kind of want to anoint as your boy, Orlando Scandrick. The Scandy man. Uh, he's been much. Be- I mean, he got lumped in with uh, what's his nuts from the preseason. Who was that guy that we signed and cut? I don't know. David Amerson. Uh, he kind of, he kind of got, they kind of got like joined together as the same guy. Like, Hey man, both these guys suck. But Skandrick, uh, has been a legit NFL player for a long time. Uh, I always thought he was very instinctual. Uh, he's got a, he's got to get away from the defensive contact downfield. Cause he had one bad PI that was legit call. And he had another that could have been called on him. Uh, so he's got to watch his hands there, but I really, I mean, I think our corners are kind of fine across the board. Like I, I think I feel fine on all three of them, I would say. 
Um, early returns on now I'm going to say uh, the 2018 draft class. Breland Speaks, Derek Noddy, Dorian O'Daniel, Armani Watts, and Traymon Smith. And I guess you could say Khalil McKenzie, but not really. Uh, well, Speaks is terrible. Um, maybe he becomes better if we put him at defensive line. Uh, but the other three, I, I really feel like they could each uh, be pieces of the defense, uh, which I think is what you're asking for for third to fifth round picks. Uh, so I think some people have kind of crushed the draft class. It's way too early to do that, in my opinion, because uh, I still think I still think Naughty, O'Daniel, and Watts could all be uh, decent players, like as early as this year. Like I think they might. They're all kind of finding their roles this year. Uh, the late corner. Uh, he seemed okay in the preseason. He's just he's more of a project, so he'll take a few years to tell anything. Uh, so I think Speaks, uh, I don't want to call him a bust yet, but man, he looks bad. And uh, the other three, I think they're I think they'll all be valuable pieces for this defense over the next three to four years. Um, we've got two more guys, and these are the two what I would say are crowning jewels, so to speak, of the offseason for Brett Veach. Um, early returns on Kendall Fuller. Kendall Fuller, um, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm pretty, uh, you know, average on him at this point. Uh, he thought he looked good early. Uh, he may have had a worse, his worst game there against Denver. I would say I'm, I'm pretty impressed with Kendall Fuller. Uh, I'm happy with him. Um, yeah. I haven't, I haven't really chimed in on any of these guys. I do want to say something about Fuller, though. Um, I think that statistically speaking – um, if you go through and probably look at pro football focus or whatever, we're seeing some really positive stats about both Steven Nelson and Orlando Skandrick. Um, and I haven't seen necessarily negative statistics about Kendall Fuller, but I want to say that Kendall Fuller is being asked to do the most against the most difficult matchups. Um, and I think he's been okay. I mean, he, he is, we have to keep in mind that he is for the first time playing outside corner in the NFL I mean, he is going inside when it's time to play the slot, but he's doing a lot. He's consuming a lot, and I think he's kind of holding his own. Um, and then I guess the the final one, and I, we talk about this every week, but early returns on Sammy Watkins. Um, um, he's okay. He's okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So the reason that I wanted to do all of the early returns, and especially after these four weeks, and these are basically all of the moves that Brett Veach was able to make in his first offseason as the general manager of this team. Um, he took over as GM in like June of last year. Um, and I think that people got excited because he made a trade for Reggie Ragland, who ended up playing good toward the end of the season. Um, and he made a trade for Cameron Irving, who is now a starting guard and I think has been okay. Um, and he was out and he was aggressive again uh, in this offseason with the trades that he made during the draft, even if you didn't like the players that we ended up with. And then, you know, as you got toward the end and toward cutdowns, he ended up trading for that safety from Miami and that corner from from Dallas, even if they were bottom of the roster guys like Brett Veach has shown, I think, an interest in not just sitting pat. But if you actually look at the guys that he's brought in, that are like the Brett Veach guys, and there's there's no way that you can debate whether it was him or John Dorsey or whatever. I think the Brett Veach's track record so far with this team, it ain't great. 
I don't really like a lot of the players that Brett Veach has brought in that are Brett Veach guys. I mean, to be honest, if I had to like pick the guy that I like the most that I know like this is this was a Brett Veach decision, it's Cameron Irving, I guess. I mean, butt kicker. Like, yeah, butt kicker, I guess that's too. Um, but I just like I don't I the Kendall Fuller thing, like I don't I guess you could say that, but I, I don't to me, I guess I just look at a lot of the guys that he's went out and targeted and certainly through the draft. I'm a little sour on the draft right now just because I I really don't like the first guy that they got and I hate that they traded up for him. And as as someone that is, I think, constantly looking ahead and un, unable to truly live in the moment, even with this quarterback, everyone's saying that next year's draft class is just full of pass rushing talent. Oh, yeah. Here we and, go. And you never know, but Here it's like go. I but dude, listen. We live in an era of the NFL where um not just our team, but every team is doing everything they can to throw the football. And you look at what they did in the offseason and it was like I don't I don't know if it was just this direct correlation to what happened against Tennessee or if it was two years in a row of of the way that Le'Veon Bell ran over us and then ultimately Tennessee ran all over us in those playoff games. But it was like suddenly Brett Veach thought that it was important to spend all of this money and all of these resources in the front seven when every other team in the league seems to know that you should be building your secondary. Like, I guess I just didn't understand it. And don't get me wrong, like, he did draft Armani Watts and Trayvon Smith, and he did go out and get Kendall Fuller. He also traded away Marcus Peters, but we're not going to go down that road. It's just a matter of, like, he he did turn over the secondary in a lot of ways. But I just – early returns on Brett Beach for me? Eh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about Brett Beach right now, at least in terms of player acquisition specifically. I mean, I, yeah, I, I would agree with pretty much all of that. Uh, it's it's almost as if we had a fantastic GM and and fired him for for little to no reason, and we never really got the full story other than he handed out two bad contracts to really great players that you know, uh, whatever. But anyways, uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you on Veach. Uh, jury is still out, I guess. Uh, I did like that he's aggressive. Uh, most, I mean, his two big moves, I guess, are. I wasn't too keen on, uh, but you know, jury's still way out on him. So mm-hmm. I just think the big disparity, at least, and again, it's still so early, like it's impossible to tell. Um, and if you look at like Dorsey's first off season as a GM here, that that draft class, you know, was D Ford essentially, like it didn't, it wasn't great either. But Veach had already been here, and you know, he kind of got part of an off season, like he'd been here for a year before that before his first draft. Um, but it just seems like John Dorsey was such a great talent evaluator. That's why everyone liked him is because he had an eye for talent. Um, and I don't know if Veach has the same kind of eye for talent, despite all the stories that we've heard about both in Philadelphia and in Kansas City. Um, I, I do have some worries about this front seven, man. Uh, Denver running the ball for basically 10 yards a clip all game long, and I'm just like, this is where we're supposed to be improved, and this is where we're getting killed. It's it's kind of weird that our expectations seemingly once again, like when we enter that season thinking that Jay Howard and Allen Bailey, you know, we're going to be going in and we've got this this defensive line is the strength of the team, and then the defensive line was like one of the worst things that we had. It's weird. I never know what to expect. 
Yeah, it, it, the run defense has been disappointing. Uh, 28th in the league right now, last in yards per carry. Uh, you know, it's something to watch. It's It hasn't been good. Uh, they have to clean up the tackling because, you know, especially early on in that game, it was just like they were there but not tackling. Uh, but on that, here, I mean, here's what happens in today's NFL. The Broncos were running all over all over us. They ended the game with 22 rush attempts and 37 pass attempts, including sale, including plays that he was sacked on. Mm-hmm. Uh, NFL teams just can't help themselves. Like throwing the ball is is just the way to score, and you're going to see very few teams that really stick with the run uh, that the way that they need to against a team like the Chiefs, just because they see what's on the other side and they think to themselves, "Man, we got to put up points." And you know that was as good a game as any to just the Broncos should have ran it 50 times and they should have possessed the ball for 40 minutes and they just couldn't help themselves. I'm like, no, we gotta we gotta throw the ball. We've gotta keep the defense on their toes. We gotta throw it. And every time they threw it, it was just like, thank you, thank you for throwing it. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the conversation that we had with Kyle Posey when we when you were kind of scouting out the Chargers for the Week One game, um, and we got to talk to him when we were on ESP in Kansas City. And you were like, listen, man, the Chargers were like last in yards per carry. They were last against the run. And it doesn't look like they did anything in the offseason to improve it. And he's like, yeah, you just have to hope that teams are, you know, not smart enough to to keep running the ball at us or that we're scoring enough points that teams aren't willing to, to stick to it. I mean, San Diego with this like absolutely atrocious run defense they drafted Derwin James in the first round. Like they don't, they didn't care. They went out and got a member of the secondary and he looks fantastic. Um, I, I guess though, the one team that has really worried me um, and and it might be the only team in the league that might be disciplined enough to try to control the ball, keep the ball away from the chiefs offense, run, 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 run. And then has a defense that's strong enough to be able to slow us down in the limited times that we do have it is the Chiefs' opponent on Sunday in the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, The Chiefs, I think, have been really getting killed on defense by running backs and tight ends, which is basically meaning that our safeties and our linebackers are not doing well in coverage. Um, I was kind of excited when I saw that Fournette wasn't going to play, but it seems like everybody is a lot more worried about TJ Yeldon because of what he can do instead of Fournette just being a downhill type of runner. What do you... What are you expecting to see on Sunday, I guess? Uh, I know Fournette's stats aren't particularly great, but uh, there is a there is a uh, degree of uh, not wanting to face him. There is a degree of he's, he seems like a big, scary running back that, that doesn't seem fun to tackle. Uh, so <clears throat> I, will, I will gladly take that off the uh, field on Sunday. Um, that will be interesting to see if they can stick with the run. I mean, it would have been a lot easier with, with two running backs back there to uh, – be able to run it all game. Uh, their backup now is that I think it's Kerry Grant or something, Jerry and Grant or something like that. But he's is it a little Jakeen Grant. Is that right? Something, I don't, something like that. He's he's a little scat back though. I mean, he he catches passes and stuff, but doesn't really run it. Um, I am incredibly excited for this matchup. Like I I love seeing matchups that are just like strength versus strength. And I mean, what you're getting on Sunday is easily one of the top two offenses in the league, Chiefs and Rams. Uh, against the Jaguars, who are easily the best defense in the league, or you know maybe the They're, Bears are up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vikings should have been, but I think the Jaguars definitely hold the crown right now. So you were just going to see strength versus strength. 
Um, we came out of Monday with the win, so we're at four and zero. So I, f- I really feel like the pressure is off on us. Like I, we're fine with a loss, so I feel like we're gonna be able to go out and play loose. Uh, and I just I I'm unbelievably excited for the game. I think it's just gonna be a fantastic matchup. Uh, it could be the two top teams in the AFC. Uh, and I just think I mean Ramsey and Tyreek are already starting to talk. Uh, I I tried to get the story on that before we came on here, but didn't get the full story. But man. That is going to be so much fucking fun just to see these two teams go at it. The only thing that I saw, and I want to kind of build this, even though um, I, I hate the storyline, uh, as as Reek against Jalen Ramsey Bolton. Um, and, oh. and so I'm looking at this, and and Tyreek said, um, he's like, yeah, I guess he, I guess he thinks he's pretty good. I hope he presses me on Sunday. I'm looking forward to playing against him, um, which is like – you know, the, the lowest form of, of trash talking, I think. Um, (laughs) but, but I mean, I am here for Jalen Ramsey and Tyreek Hill, you know, get, getting after each other. I don't know what Jacksonville is going to be doing defensively, but like, I think that they would be wise to just do like the Bob Sutton style of defense and they don't need to travel. They should just try to play straight up because they're so talented defensively that they don't have to look for the like the matchups. They're just so good across the board. Honestly, I think the X factor on Sunday is what Blake Bortles shows up. Because you saw Blake Bortles throw for like 400 yards and four touchdowns against New England, and then they scored nine points at home when they played Tennessee, who you and I both said that we liked before the season. You know, they're kind of a sneaky team, and they certainly don't seem like they're good offensively, but yet they're three and one, and they've beaten the Eagles, and then uh, who, did, who did they just beat on Sunday? They beat the Eagles and Jacksonville, right? Yeah. They've won. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are two huge wins for Tennessee, but it depends on what Blake Bortles shows up. Because if Jacksonville is good offensively on Sunday, it's it's going to be a really tough game for the Chiefs. But if Jacksonville's shooting themselves in the foot and Bortles is throwing interceptions, then I think the Chiefs come out on top, and it might be a little easier than we expect. All right, so a few things there. I, I feel like Bortles – I mean, Tennessee's defense has been a kind of a pleasant surprise, I would say. Uh, so that's – I mean, they, they limited Bortles severely. I feel like Bortles – uh, he plays well when the other team is in like a bend but don't break defense, uh, which the Chiefs kind of get in sometimes. But like the Patriots, like both times he's played the Patriots uh, in the playoffs last year and then this year, he kind of tore them up and they kind of play like a soft defense. Like you know, we'll let you drive down and and eat a, and run it if you want, and you can kick a field goal. We're going to hold you to three points, kind of thing. And I feel like Bortles kind of eats that up. Uh, so I think the proper defensive strategy is to kind of get up in their face. And uh, really make them earn it. Like, make Bortles beat you downfield. Don't let him take these underneath crossing routes or don't let him run, uh, which is something that he kind of gets off to now. Um, So there's that. And then when Jacksonville's on defense, uh, I feel like they kind of play an aggressive man-to-man style uh, similar to Denver, uh, who gave Kansas City's offenses more fits than any other defense this year. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. That's something that Alex kind of, uh, used to chew up. Like that's what he preferred was to go against a man-to-man defense like that. Uh, I mean, Mahomes has almost kind of shown that he's, you know, he's dicing up zones just because there's so many holes and there's so many weapons and he has so much arm strength that he can just, there's always somebody open, uh, against Denver. It didn't seem like there was near as many receivers just running wide open. I think it's just because they're in man-to-man coverage. Uh, so you just didn't see it as much. So that, and that, I think that's how Jacksonville plays most of the time. 
I, I think I feel like Ramsey is the kind of like the bigger corner, and Boye is more of the speed guy. So I almost feel like if they were to match up with uh, with players, it would be Ramsey on Kelsey and Boye on Tyreek. Is kind of what I was thinking. Boye well, is I mean, the guy maybe... they normally use on tight ends, is what I hear. I think he's like their tight end matchup guy that they'll just pull him off of a corner and like if they're playing against Gronk, that a lot of times it's like Bouye. See, I thought I thought that was uh, kind of Ramsey's forte. Uh, so we'll we'll do some research before the game, and we will not do another podcast, so you won't hear any of our thoughts about it. But you know, we'll get a good idea of it. Uh, and feel free to do your own research and let us know because actually, I'm not going to do any research. So just let me just send me a tweet and let me know the difference between Ramsey and Boye. And I would almost give like the uh, I mean, if Watkins plays, you know, put one of them on Kelsey, put one of them on Watkins, and then throw the double team towards Tyreek at all times, and maybe that would be my defensive strategy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't wait to see the, the the cross matchups in that game. I can't wait to see everything about that game. It's gonna be awesome. I think the Patriots game is going to be really important too. Um, something that I, I and I don't want to like look too far ahead. We'll be able to talk about it next week. But keep in mind, the Patriots play tomorrow night. Folks, the Patriots are going to have three or four extra days to prepare for the Kansas City Chiefs as we head up to Foxborough in week six. The Chiefs started the season 4-0 and despite playing three of those four on the road. The next four, Jacksonville, New England, Denver, and Cincinnati, three of four at home. We will, uh, I think this is a really important stretch, but it's been a great show. Thanks, Thanks for coming today, Dirk. Thanks for showing up as we as we sit here and and have our have our great podcast. I, I skipped work for this. Yeah, that's what I, I, I'm showing up three hours late. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks to Cy then, and uh, thanks to you guys. Thanks to the listeners. Um, this has been Amateur Hour. I'm- well, I mean, we deserve we we deserve to throw the listeners some uh, some appraisal. Uh, they've been very very generous to us this week. Uh, based on what we uh, kind of announced last week with taking donations, uh, people were very generous. Uh, it is looking like Mexico City is going to happen. Uh, we are still accepting donations for that. Uh, but, you know, you guys are fucking awesome. Uh, love the support. Love how everything is, has gone since then. I was, I was kind of stressing about it last week, and I, I really feel like uh, it's, it's just been, you know, settled in a great way. And I feel great about it. I think that Pat Mahomes is like the great equalizer. He's putting everybody in a good mood, and they're like, you know what? You know what? I do like the Chiefs, and I do like Amateur Hour, so let's go have some fun. Um, And if you do want to donate, paypal.me slash AHPKC. But seriously, guys, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, For those of you that are waiting on shirts, talk to Dirk. He's the boss on the shirts. I mean, I should have been doing it today at work, but I had to to skip work, so I'm I'm already behind. Already behind. Uh, we do have some other stuff in the works. Um, and actually, like before before we really hang up, um, man, I just can't thank Joe Moore enough. Um, I think it's at Joe Moore. He might have a number in there. Um, but we've we've kind of shouted him out. He's the guy that has made uh, the logo that we're using right now that is going to be on the shirts that you guys are receiving. Um, and he's kind of doing some sneaky projects for us right now, too. Um, Joe's just a fantastic guy in terms of uh, animation, and uh, we're, we're really lucky to have a group of fans, um, people that just want to contribute in the ways that they can. 
you know, and some of you guys are able to go out and do that, you know, with with monetary donations. But we've got so many people that are donating time too. Joe Moore doing stuff for us, Mike Howard doing stuff to be able to to help us, you know, edit these things together when we've had a bunch of difficulties. It's a really awesome community, and uh, man, humbled, very very humbled. Uh, this, folks, it's been Amateur Hour. I'm Ryan Scott Hall. He's his darkness. And uh, this is ELO. It's ELO. Oh, I fucking love ELO. Is it Showdown? It better be Showdown. It's not Showdown. Showdown! You want Showdown? I was going to do... Showtime! I was doing Strange Magic. Showtime! (laughs) Showtime. Is there a Showtime? Here, I'll, I'll play Showdown. I know that's your jam. That's I was like, I was like Skinamax more than Showtime personally. <laughs> oh my gosh! Can we call I him Skinamax Mahomes? This is the Jacksonville game, but I th- I thought that Strange Magic would have been good for for Mahomes. But ELO, it doesn't matter. There's a magic the song for it. Mahomes Mahomes has upwards of like eighty nicknames right now that that people are all floating around. And and I don't know if any of them are very good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I saw Kent Swanson say that he wanted to call him Baby Goat, <laughs> and I and I just thought that was funny. But that's a kid, right? Aren't Baby Goats kids? He looks like a fucking kid. That's that's what the nickname that I like is is just the kid, the kid. Yeah, the kid. All right. Good job, kid. We didn't say one fucking word about Mitch Schwartz. Not one. We owe that man an apology. You're awesome. He owns Vaughn. Owns his ass. Sorry. Sorry, Mitch. You think he's going to get an extension? I think he's giving me an extension.